Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick, and guess what? You guys are listening to The Jim Bob Show. Hey, this is Wayne Larrabee, and you're listening to Roar on WGN. It is the one and only Ron Jaworski. Jim Bob, it's Ron Jaworski. I, I know, I'm in, I'm in awe, I know. But oh, awesome. come on, you guys are awesome, man. Keep up the great work. Hey, this is Brian Urlacher, and you're listening to The Jim Bob Show. That's awesome. Oh, and that's then, it. How about one? This is Brian Urlacher. I'm not a bitch. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's I about love that one. <laughs> What would you like to do, and how do we go about making it happen? <laughs> I, Jim, I, I, what would I like to do, and how can we make it happen? Okay, I want $100 million on an island outside Hawaii with a bunch of beautiful naked women. Okay, okay? well, that's, that's getting away happen? from football. So that's plan A. Hey, this is Bill Moss, former Kansas City Chief. You're listening to the Jim Bob Show. Hi, it's Tom Chicago in the Skyline Studio, 720 WGN. It is the Jim Bob Show and Jim Bob on the line. We've got an NFL Pro Bowler, Chiefs legend, and one of the great voices on the broadcast side for the National Football League. One of my favorite all-time dudes, okay? One of my favorite all-time dudes. I will tell you, this guy here, Billy Moss, William Thomas Moss, first-round draft choice for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's a stud all the way around, except in the pickleball arena. Billy Moss, welcome to the show. Guys, how's it going? What are you? Are we strong on the coffee this afternoon? What, what are we no, we just finished up some Wisconsin. We just finished up some Wisconsin cheese dip, and uh, we're we are ready to go, man. So, Billy Bob, when we were doing the uh, research on you and so forth, and we had one of your former teammates on. We had Grunny on, Tim Grun Grunhard, former Notre Dame. Yeah. Everybody in Chicago, of course, knows everybody who played every position from I don't care how long ago. But Grunny's telling the story about you and him when he was a rookie and so forth. And I was reading, you know, the bull in the ring stories about Billy Moss and so forth. I mean, listen, man, your high school team, you're one in nine your senior year. And how in the hell do you end up getting to, to Pittsburgh? Tell us. Yeah, so it's crazy. Actually, it was kind of sad. Sophomore year, we, we, we won the Central League. That was our, our division there, our little conference. We, we won the Central League championship. And then, our, I don't know what Our junior year, it was like, I don't know what happened to the coach. He, like, crashed a, a keg party, right? And it was like a Friday night keg party during the season. And it was out in the woods somewhere. And he came and he caught with him. And he, he came and he literally kicked, like, half the team off the team, you know? And they're, they're banned. They're not allowed to play football. And then he left the, the year after that. And so the next year, we should have played eight-man football. I mean, there was like, honestly, there was like 20 guys that came out for the team. We couldn't even field like each starter. Everybody had to play both ways and stuff. And we just were terrible. And we had like, uh, one of the teachers said, well, we don't have a coach. I'll be the coach. I don't even know if he knew what a football looked like prior to that. So we, we really just got our ass handed to us. And, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was able to do enough things over the course of the other two years prior to that and then being my senior year that other coaches in the Philadelphia area when when scouts would come in they'd say hey there's a guy over here at this school you need to go look at 
And so that's that's how I stayed afloat on top of that deal. But yeah, my last year my high school was a mess. I mean, I, I was reading about it, and because of all the years I've known you, and I've known you since 19, 1984 when you come rolling into Kansas City, and I did not know that your team was so crappy because I would never expect that out of you being a one and nine high school team, and then going on to Pittsburgh where you had, I mean, my God, how yeah. did you guys not win almost every game in your college career? You had Marino, you had Russ yeah. Grimm, Mark May, Hugh Green, Ricky Jackson, Tim Lewis, Jimbo Covert. I mean, gosh dang, that, that's a Pro Bowl Hall of Fame team right there. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Chris Dolman, Bill Fralick, Hugh Green, Ricky Jackson. I mean, it was – we had every – and we didn't even – you know, we didn't really even know it, you know? I mean, we were just 18, 19 years old, and we're all there. And, and Jackie Sherrill was the common link that kind of brought us all together. And he was our head coach there. And, yeah, we went on a tear. And, you know, 11 and one, three three years in a row. Number two, we were ranked number two in the national championships two two times. And, and Jackie Sherrill still keeps in touch with all of us. We have a We have a text between most of those guys you just mentioned that, that he, he's involved with. And we text each other quite frequently. And when we get together, we talk about that. And he takes credit for it. He's like, <laughs> man, it was my fault. He's like, it was my fault. I, we, we should have won at least two national championships with that team. Well, one of the best teams of the country, for sure. And you mentioned it, that you didn't know how good you guys were. And, of course, because, you know, Dan Marino wasn't Dan Marino yet, right? Bill Moss had not become the Bill Moss that we know and love yet. At what point do you guys on that text chain, were you, you know, over the years thinking, wow, that was a – I mean, obviously, for Pitt, they haven't gotten to that level yeah. since. But it was like – that was a super special team. Yeah, it, it was crazy. And we were just all just kids, 18, 19 years old. And then after that, like after your senior year, like two years later, literally two years after I graduated, every one of those guys are over in Hawaii. We're all in Hawaii at the Pro Bowl. <laughs> it's like, it was like old homecoming week. It's crazy. You know? I didn't tell you this, but Jackie, when I was coming out of junior college, I met I met Coach Cheryl, and he was at Pitt that year when I was coming out of junior college, out of Coffeyville Community Junior College, and then going to Kansas State. But Jackie recruited me. I'd been recruited the year before uh, Washington, Washington State, and he was out there, you know, yeah. before, you know, in those areas and so forth. But you know, it's weird. I, I get recruited to go to Pittsburgh and Penn State, and you guys were so good. Penn State wins a national championship. No. I decided to go to Kansas State. That's how that's how unsmart I am. <laughs> well, but, yeah, I was going to say something when you started talking about my high school team, how bad it was. But well, hey, yeah. I, I let it fly. I played eight-man football, and you say, you, listen, when I was playing in high school, we literally had 13 kids on the team, and, and people, we, we get on the show, people, we talk about CT and concussions. I go, concussions? My coach knocked me out twice in my senior year because we had to practice against the coach, assistant coach, and the and the, the geometry teacher who I used to I owned him, <laughs> but but anyhow so so we do the Pittsburgh and Jackie Sherrill what a great guy he is I mean you got to have some fantastic memories of at Pitt yeah I mean every I mean we played in every year we played in the Cotton Bowl we played in the Sugar Bowl Gator Bowl Fiesta Bowl I mean every every major bowl game that was big at that time that had something to do with the national championship. We played it. I mean, it was commonplace. It's like, yeah, Christmas, yeah. What bowl, where are we going for Christmas this year? You know, and he'd always take us a week early to have some fun. And 
then then we get down to business. Yeah. And speaking of business, so, you know, you become this All-American at, at Pittsburgh and uh, you develop into, you're the fifth player taken in the first round draft when you go to the Chiefs in 84. I mean, you obviously knew you were, you were going to get drafted really high, but tell us about the whole draft experience and go through that. So, yeah, that was, that was kind of interesting. It was back then when, you know, I mean, I think it started at 5.30 in the morning um, back then. It was still about the same time. It was still about the end of April. And I, I didn't hear from Kansas City. Well, I, actually, I did. San Diego had the fourth pick. They told me they were taking me. Philadelphia had the sixth pick. They told me they were taking me. So I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm either going to be on the beach or I'm going to be uh, back in my hometown in Philadelphia. And I'm saying, that's pretty cool. And so a week before the draft, Kansas City comes in, okay? Kansas City comes in, and they don't bring the head coach or general manager. No, they brought in a sports psychiatrist, okay? <laughs> and and they call me up, and they say, hey, uh, Kansas City's up here. They, they want you to come up and meet with them. I'm like, the draft's next week. I mean, I've done everything. I played in the East-West Shrine game. I played in the Senior Bowl. I went to all the Combines. I went to every single one of the uh, private pro days they invited me to. I'm like, what in the world? I said, hey, man, this is crazy. You, I really got to come up there? And Coach says, you know what? It, they got the fifth pick, Bill. Just, just come up and talk with them. I go up there, and it wasn't anybody. It wasn't the general manager. It wasn't the head coach. It wasn't, it wasn't anybody. It was, it was a sports psychiatrist. And he says, hey, uh, we want you to take this this test, personality test. I go, oh, really? <laughs> I had an attitude. Uh-huh. I had an attitude, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I take this test, and it was like, you know, one of those psychological test things. You know, would you rather build a model airplane, make a puzzle, or shoot a cat? Shoot a cat. <laughs> I mean, every, every, single, every single wrong answer there was, <laughs> and lo and behold, they draft me number five overall and say, you're playing nose tackle. I'm like, oh, I'm a defensive end. I don't want to play nose tackle. Yeah, that's not what the personality test said. Yeah. Hey, you know, here's the deal. And I mean this. I mean, you know, one of my favorite guys here, but uh, I also say plays the toughest position in sports. I don't know a position that's more grueling other than maybe being a major league catcher and squatting down on your knees for 160 games but I mean playing nose tackle it's it's got to be one of the roughest positions I know you respect it and so forth but so so Makovic was your coach I think I shared the story you know so I go to the Chiefs in 83 as a free agent and I get fined $500 by coach Makovic for not coming down with a tie on at one of the hotels and, you know, I'm making, I mean, you know, $80,000, 500 bucks is a ton. <laughs> so, I mean, how was your first few years with Makovic and that coaching staff? My first couple of years were, were kind of tough in a couple of different ways. One, you know, you mentioned all the guys I played against in college, right? Every day I went in practice against Mark May, Jimbo Covert, Bill Fraley. This is who I, Russ Grimm. This is who I went against every day in practice, right? And I come out here to Kansas City, and I'm like, "What in the world? How, how, how do we? How are we even going to win a game? I mean, I mean, if those guys that were there were just like they weren't comparable to yeah what I was used to practicing against. It had right? to be like a walk in the park for you. 
Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, it was a real head scratch. I'm like, oh my gosh. Wait, what's what's this going to be like? So it was tough, just from that aspect. The other part of it is, you know, you're just thrown into the fire. I'd never played nose tackle before. I was always a right defensive end. And it was a, kind of a learning experience for me. Uh, I just fought my way through the best I could. And it, 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 it comes at you so fast, you know. Every single week, it's a new, new. You know, it's a new stadium. It's a new town you're going to. It's a new hotel you're staying in. It's new every single week. It's just a new, new. And so, you know, when you're young like that, you're trying to filter through all of it and, and learn, learn quick and learn on the run and trying to be good at the same time and do well at the same time. You know, I, I was lucky to have guys around me like Mike Bell and Art Still, veterans, really, really good players, uh, Gary Spain. To help me in that transition, um, because they just threw me right in the fire. I started day one, and you know it was a lot. So it, it turned out pretty well. Um, ended up with defensive rookie of the year, and um, that, I think that was just because I was so locked into the everyday, just learning, 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 and I just I, I fed on that like a frenzy, and uh, it ended up paying off. I I never expected it. You know, it was a shock to me. When it was announced, I think I got a phone call after the end of the season um, that told me that hey, that's where I was. I'm like, oh wow, that's that's awesome. And back then, I don't even know if it was a big deal. It was yeah, defensive rookie of the year, Associated Press, your name this. Now it's a big deal, and it comes with a big bonus too. By the way, yeah. Well, you you guys back in that era, I mean, you, you I think you went eight and eight your first year, and six and ten the second year. I mean, and you know, then Marty comes rolling in along, and yeah. The whole different demeanor had to occurred then when Marty comes into Kansas City because uh, Marty had some. You guys had some great records. You know what was so fun about that time frame is we got better every single year, and you could see it. I learned more about football from Marty Schottenheimer than any coach ever I've ever been around. He was a teacher of the game at all levels uh, of all aspects of the game. He was coaching nonstop. I mean, he was talking and teaching and everything you did on the field, he'd just come interrupt and he'd t- break it down and he'd tell you, and he'd tell you why you're doing it and how you're doing it and why, if you don't do it this way, what the repercussions are that affects the next link in the chain. And he was just hands-on about every aspect of football. And it was, it was by far the most knowledge of the game that I ever collected was from him during that time. How did you deal with the Frank Gantz era when going four and 11? I mean, that was a horrible era. How did that work for you? Yeah, there was a couple times there that, I mean, I had a, a lot of respect for Frank. Frank was great at what he does. He had a lot, a lot of passion in, in what he did. He had a lot of passion for the players, but it, the Makovic deal wasn't, wasn't about John Makovic and, and the Frank Gans deal wasn't about Frank Gans. It was, you know, as as a team, as a collective team, as an organization, things weren't aligned the way they should have been at that time. And it took them some time to weed through some things, and Marty got them on the right track with Carl Peterson. That was a big changing point. So it wasn't those two guys. It was an organizational thing at that time. And those things are hard to fight through. They're hard to play through as a player. Like if you look at some of the teams out there now that are gone through these organizational struggles, right? You know, I, I feel bad for the players. Well, the Raiders come to mind. I mean, the Raiders are the first team that I think about certainly coming to mind with what's going on there, you know, but yeah, Raiders, I mean, 
yeah, I mean, Denver went through it. Denver I mean, going they, through they, it, yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. And, and so when, when you play those years, and, and you're as a player, you're, you're taught to do one thing, and that's to play as hard as you can, to fight as hard as you can. I mean, it's just ingrained in your in your makeup, in your fiber. And, and you look back on it and you think, man, what wasted years I had. And some guys played their whole career yep. and, you know, for a bad organization and then they're done playing and they don't have anything to put in their hat. You know what I mean? I mean it's just like, yeah, I played. That's it. Yeah. There's nothing there. Well, you know, it's, a, it's an empty feeling. Yeah, I hear you. And I, I think that's a, that's a great talking point. We could, we could expand on that, but you know, you know, you played, like I said, one of the toughest positions that I think of any sport, you know, you're, you become, you know, defensive rookie of the year and you know, you got to the pro bowls and so forth. And, and I know, because I, I thought you had a, a great prolific career and I always followed you because we we're buds and so forth, but you had some injuries. I mean, you had some moments where you got hurt, where you were on, you were going to be another pro bowl year and then you know, injuries. Tell us about yeah. some of that. Yeah. I mean, it can happen at any time. It's a different game now than it was then. There were no rules on anything back then. There was no such thing as roughing the passer. The only person that got roughed was the kicker or punter, right? I mean, all the way around. There's no all blocks were legal back then. Just matter yeah. where they were on and, your body. and tackles. I mean, you you tackled yeah. anywhere you wanted to too. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. But you're right. And, you're, two roughing penalties is the kicker. I mean, you know, I mean, how's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so, I mean, I'm glad because I think you're seeing that players are playing longer at positions like mine. That you know, there was not a lot of longevity in those careers back then you take some hits and do some things and it it takes it out of you and then when you do get hurt and injured they may heal and you can play again but they all start taking their toll Mm -hmm. i mean you're just a little bit different of a player each one of those nicks and chinks you take and and they all add up over time and you know you your mind thinks you can you're you're going as fast as you used to, but you're not. Yeah, no, I hear you. Is it you know? So you suffer through some years of of some injuries that whether it's four games or six games or whatever. I mean, it takes a toll. You know, your last year in Kansas City, and then you're you're going to the Green Bay Packers, um, mm-hmm. and you get to the Packers and so forth. And I mean, when is it that you realize and he goes, I just don't want to do this anymore. So, yeah, that's an interesting question. And I think for me, it, it had started a little bit earlier. You're just, you're older. You're in your 30s. A lot of the guys are coming in, rookies, you know, 21, 20, 22. You know, it's just finding that common ground is a little bit challenging. I think you see a lot of older players go through that. But here's what I said. I noticed that when you hit the ground and you make a tackle, literally I felt like, the abominable snowman. I could bounce back up, boink, back up. When I had to put my hands on the ground to push myself to help get up again, and that's that's when I knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know that that last year. I mean, did the Packers want you to stay one more year, or were you were you made the decision? How'd that work out? Yeah, so I talked to Mike Holmgren. He was a coach at that time. And by the way, what, it, it was such a difference going from Marty Schottenheimer to. Mike Holmgren. I mean, Marty Schottenheimer, we had, and I'm not exaggerating at all. We had full pads every day and practice time was at his discretion. And on Fridays during the season, Fridays, we had live goal line and short yardage every single Friday during the season. Yeah. 
I mean, it would just take a toll on you, you know? You're, you're beat. You and I talked about it the other day when we were just BSing. We were talking about the change in the game. I mean, now they have maybe 16 practices in pads and it's, it's, and they're mandated. They can only go so long. I mean, we were talking about two hours. We we had three and a half hour practices. Two hours. (laughs) My God. That's like uh, two hours is like, you know, vacation. Yeah. And and I could, when I came up to the Packers with, with Mike Holmgren and we're in training camp and we're in helmets and shorts. I was like, are you kidding me? This is awesome. So there was a couple different ways to, to get the job done. And, and, I, and I got to see both of those. And I got to play for two story franchises, you know, I mean, with the AFL, Lamar Hunt, and the Green Bay Packers. I mean, that's, that's as good as it gets. And so it was pretty cool. And it was the first year of free agency. And I went up there with Reggie White, Brett Favre. I mean, it was, it was fun. It was a good time in my life. It was, it was good to see something different. And so Mike and I had a conversation after the season. And, you know, he said, he asked me, he said, what do you, what do you want to do? I said, yeah, I, I don't know. He said, well, here's what I'm thinking. Would you want to come coach? I said, Mike, I said, I really think I'm going to get as far away from football as I possibly can for a while. And he said, okay, but, you know, you're a smart guy. You know the game. You know, if you want to coach, you, you let me know. And we left it at that. And lo and behold, I didn't get very far away from football. No, no you didn't. I did. And now you know you damn sure didn't because, and I, I will tell this, and I would say, tell it to anybody, you became my favorite studio anchor and game analyst. And, and I, I mean this in all sincerity is that, you know, I've, I've always been a, a big football fan since I was a, a little kid and I was a student of the game. I studied the game. And I remember my first time when I stepped on Lambeau Field as a player, I was like, to me, it was like wow this is like football heaven and i mean it really i mean it really was a magical moment for me and to actually put on the uniform and so forth i i appreciated it and we talk about how much the games changed and so forth and i want to want to take a step back because you and i have talked about the game has changed so much you know, and we've talked about the speed of the game and it's become seven on seven matchup. Yeah. Talk about the changes in the game that you see from your perspective and, and whether they're good or bad. Well, you know, it's, it really is a completely different game. You know, when I was broadcasting, I was just out of the league. I knew all the coaches. I knew a lot of the players. We have contacts and information. And I knew what game they were playing and I understood it. The game has changed so drastically. And a lot of people, for the better, you know, they love it. But when they put in the 20-hour rule in NCAA, which was to protect the student-athletes so that they weren't just practicing football all day long or practicing whatever sport all day long, which we did back in the day. But they put in the 20-hour rule for anything related, meetings, weightlifting, treatments, practice. 20 hours a week was all you could do. So when they put that into play, colleges came up with the RPOs and they started, you know, the signs are holding up Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse signs and stuff like this on the sidelines. And that was a play. And so what got cut out was that hour of individual period for the young men to hone your skills at your position. We had an hour before practice would start with our coach at our position, and we would just practice things that pertain to our position. Extending your arms, throwing your hips, uh, you know, getting off the ball, all the all pad level, all those things that are important, tackling. So all the, that hour 
went out the window. And so it went right into game planning. And so they had to come up with a way to make it, you know, expedite everything in a fashion where we can get something accomplished. And that's what you're seeing. And it's transferred over to the NFL. Mm -hmm. And with the new collective bargaining agreement, with only two hours allowed mandatory at practice during the day, they have to film every practice. They have to turn it into the league. And it has to be no longer than two hours long. So how do you how do you get work done in there? And so that's what they've done. And that's what you've seen transition. That's why you've seen the quarterback play change from what it used to be. That's why you've seen the play calling change. That's why you don't see, you know, the power O run game because you have to practice that stuff in full pads to get your timing down and make everything right. And that no longer exists. So everything's about the RPO. And essentially what you have is a seven-on-seven camp. Like, you know, all these high school kids, that's all they do. They go to these seven-on-seven camps around the country to display their abilities as a receiver or defensive back or or quarterback. Mm -hmm. And seven-on-seven is just the outside guys of receivers, quarterbacks, and defensive backs. And it doesn't pertain to the interior linemen or linebackers. So um, that's what the game really has come down to in a nutshell. It's different. There's so many more things that the intricacies of plays, route running, and coverages have doubled or tripled in the complexity of what they used to be. When it comes down to, you know, as a student of the game, not only as a player, but also as an analyst and, and watching the games and all that. And, and you mentioned, you know, being a part of two iconic franchises, whether it's the Packers or the Chiefs and those coaches, right? Uh, Marty Schottenheimer and then Mike Holmgren. And what's interesting is to have you say, like, you didn't know it could be like that, right? Schottenheimer comes in and it's totally different. Yeah. And then you go and get in that West Coast offense with Holmgren. And it's like, whoa, what is it that's going on here? Or you look at the, at the right. system that they're running. And in the past, you had to be part of sort of that coaching tree, right? You would come from this lineage. Lineage, right? That would teach it and pass mm-hmm. it down. What are your thoughts, Bill? Now, as far as the coaching side, obviously you're going to have individuals that are great motivators and you know and inspirational people. But as far as knowing things and the knowledge, it's all sort of available now. Yeah, it is. And and here's the big difference: defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators may be good at a system. Okay, and they may have been brought up in a system. They may understand the system. They may have had their own twist. But the guy with the whistle in his hand, the headband. He has to be a true leader of men. And I don't mean just 53 men in the locker room. You've got another 40-some on your coaching staff and crew, right? And that, that person has to be an exceptional leader. He doesn't have to know the offense or defense. or It, it, it helps. You know, it certainly helps in Andy's case because he knows so many different offenses from every place he's been and, and how he, he's been brought up through football. But the guy has to be a leader. And everybody's looking for the next offensive genius or defensive guy. or You know, they're looking for that. The fact of the matter is you, you just really have to find a leader of men. And when you get that guy, you don't let him go. I mean, you don't let him go. And I think that's what separates Andy from the rest of the people in the league. I mean, everybody's looking for the next this or that, you better find the next best leader out there. Best next Mike Tomlin and guys like that. I mean, that's well, well they're it, special. It was clear, you know, to me, and I'm I'm hypercritical about Green Bay's uh, Packers season this year, but 
I felt that we at the Packers organization was out coached and out motivated and out leadership on the field against the Detroit Lions. Jared Goff played great. And, and what I don't get is that, you know, I'm a Hall of Fame quarterback and how I let Jared Goff outplay me is beyond me, number one. But number two, right. you know, the Lions didn't have anything to play for. They didn't have anything to play for. They got announced that they were out of the playoffs regardless. And they go out and, and beat the Packers who had everything to play for play calling was i don't know crazy i guess uh, some of that again it was more seven on seven play calling stuff but i i gotta tell you i think you're 100 percent right in today you better find somebody who's got a system but also who has the ability to pr- bring that leadership when you need it and i thought that that uh the detroit lions got that from their coach and uh i was i was quite impressed with the way they came and and com- you know they were competitive and competed on every play it was you know we you know we talk about the the change in the game and and the players and so forth. And one time you and I were talking about, I mean, these guys today, it, it is a different game as 707, but man, everybody's fast, but there's some big boys out there. Uh, I mean, Billy, and, and I, I look at them and, and I mean, you know, do you look at some of the guys today, like on the Chiefs team and look at the size of these guys and go, damn. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, I don't, there's not a position made for me that I could, could have played at the NFL level at the size and weight that, that I was. I mean, I was 260 pound nose tackle, six foot five, right? I mean, that's no, that's not, these guys, these guys are coming out now. They're six, seven, 340 and running sub four fives. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I look at it and it just blows my mind. And I don't, I don't know if that just all came from eating chicken. Yeah, I know. Hey, question two is that, you know, you talk about the change in coaches and, 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 uh, the system and so forth. And, you know, moving on to your announcing career, which, like I said, you were one of the best in the business. And do you think today, you know, the game, like Tony Romo is pretty good today and he's in touch with the game. You know, you see a lot of quarterbacks now that are, are getting the gig. Some of us from fame, but some of them is because they, they can talk to systems and tell you what's going on. Is yeah. it, do you think from an X and O standpoint, do you think you can pick it up and, and learn the game? You know, again, it's a different era of, of, of play, but is it that difficult or what's going on in regards to the announcers boost and the analysts? Yeah, so it's it's just a saturated field is what it is. I mean, I remember when I sent my tape into Fox Sports, and at that time there was Fox had the NFC and uh, CBS had the AFC, and then there was Monday Night Football. And so Fox had seven crews, and there were seven crews on CBS, and then there was a crew on Monday Night Football. And I remember when I sent my tape in to Ed Gordon who was uh, executive producer at that time, he, he called me on the phone, talked to me. He said, hey, he said, oh, yeah, great tape. And I love it. Good stuff. And he said, but, you know, you have a better chance of becoming a head coach than an NFL analyst. There was 32 head coaches. There was, there was 18 analysts. Mm. And, and I was like, whoa, I never even thought about it like that. Well, I got a break, and I made the most out of it at that time. So it's just, I think that, there's so much out there now, and you know they've added so many camera angles and the high definition and the slow motion of every single play. It's not as an analyst, you're not talking about the thought process of each coach and what they're trying to do and how you're trying to get. You're debating every play after the play now, and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, 
it's hard to even get into a flow of talking about what they're trying to do systematically, schematically in this game and how their defense is opposing it. You can't even draw these things up and tell a story about how this battle is playing out on the field because you're looking at every review on every single play. So it's different in how they go about calling the game and what they emphasize. Well, you look at it like this too, is that the broadcasters used to have to sort of help fill the gaps. Obviously, everybody's watching it, but you're telling the story, a little bit of the backstory, a little of the color, and you're kind of filling those gaps and making it an entertaining broadcast. I was curious about this, Bill. I wanted to get your thoughts on the broadcast side. So we lost Franco Harris not too long ago, and you mentioned all of these cameras and being able to see everything, the immaculate reception. What would we have seen? I mean, we would have seen exactly what happened, right? Instead of thinking maybe that happened or maybe it didn't. Yeah. Maybe it hit the ground. <laughs> Maybe it <didn't. laughs> well, I'm not going to go there. You two guys go there. I'm not going there. Okay. I wanted to get, I wanted to get something as simple as this is that, you know, you talk about the, the every play is, is scrutinized and analyzed. I want to make it simple. In Jim Bob's book, it's like this. That's a stupid play or that was a good play. <laughs> and then have yeah. everybody, have everybody in the stands have a little buzzer and it buzzes up and, and every, the scoreboard goes, stupid play. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be a fun game to go to <laughs> and have these coaches on the sideline, you know, looking up at the scoreboard and go, Oh God, I've got a good play. He's got 47 stupid plays so far. It's only the third quarter. <laughs> I am so sick of some of these, you know, we talk about these coaches. I, I think you would have made a great head coach. Uh, the fact of it is, is that, you know, we've got so many of these young guys coming out and these systems that you talk about and, and we've talked about before. I mean, listen, I come from the air. If we ran it on first down and got six yards, guess what? We're going to run it again until you stop it. Yeah. I mean, you got to stop it. Okay. I mean, and so here's what you got today. You get six yards on a run play on first down. They never come back to it. I'm like, what in the yeah. hell? I mean, no, we're going to run jet sweep, you know, on fourth and one. I mean, in my day, you know, like we talked about, we're running 34 slant, 35 slant. Stop it if you can. Otherwise, you know, we're going to run it up your ass all day long. Yeah, I, I think you see more of that league-wide is because of what I talked about. I mean, to get a good running game going, you got to practice the run game. Practice the run game in shorts and helmets. It doesn't work. <laughs> it's like, no, might as well. Hold it sounds more like a beach party. <laughs> Next thing you know, Bill, I they'll mean, just be, they'll do like Zoom calls. No, everybody, it's like a, it's like a Maverick part in the movie Maverick. Okay. We're all on the beach in some shorts and, you know, no, yeah. I, I agree. The rules have changed. Yeah. The rules have changed. And, uh, you know, guys like, man, there's no way Jack Tatum survives in the league more than a year. Ronnie Lott. I mean, you know, they would have been disqualified. You hit too hard. You're out, you know. Chuck Cecil. Chuck. Yeah. 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 The guy that got me cut. I'm sitting on the sidelines with my buddy Mark Murphy, and Cecil hits this kid, and, and he's out of Stanford, and his helmet goes flying up in the air for a second. You think, he decapitated him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He, he knocked his head off. And then I look at Murph, and the coaches are – the kid's practically dead. And then the defensive coaches are coming up and giving Cecil high fives and shit. The kid's dead. And I'm, I'm sitting there with Murph. I go, hey, what's the name of that truck driving school? <laughs> 
<laughs> Bobber's going to go be a truck driver. <laughs> no, no, but anyhow. Well, uh, hey, buddy, I tell you what, man, it's always great to talk to you, and, and I love visiting with you. Do you do, what's, what's your ambitions? What's your ambitions as far as, you know, I, I'd love to see you back in the game at, at – uh, at, at any level, um, you know, I mean, the fact of it is, is that, you know, you're, you're great for, you're great for football. You got a great mind that I think needs to be heard for football today. You know, you remind me of Madden. What would you like to do and how do we go about making it happen? <laughs> I, Jim, Bob, I, <laughs> what would I like to do and how can we make it happen? Okay. I want a hundred million dollars on an island outside Hawaii <laughs> with a bunch of beautiful naked women. Okay, okay? well that's that's getting that away happen? from football. So that's Plan A. That's <laughs> getting away from football, like you originally said to Holgram. Hey, I'm going to get as far away from football as I buzz we get. Also, hey, your wife Sarah. She's after she. I hope she's not going to listen to this because you're dead. <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> but anyhow, she's one of them. Imagine yeah. if that conversation would have happened with Mike Holmgren. He's like, I want an island. I want a hundred million dollars. <laughs> what is it you want to do, Bill? I'd like to have you a coach. Well, I cares what I'm thinking about. <laughs> but anyway, no man. Hey, are you going to? Uh, you going to be around for the Chiefs? Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, you got to Super Bowl, correct? Yep, we're on the Super Bowl. And then I've got a ticket for you out there for the Super Bowl. And, uh, if you guys want to go, cause I've got like 10 of them. I got a bunch from Sean Payton and so forth, but, uh, we're going to be out there. We've, we're, uh, El Bandito Yankees sponsoring it. And then we've got, uh, we've got the waste management deal going on as well. So yeah, that's yeah. going to be awesome. We got, yep, we'll, we'll, we'll be out there. Let's do it. Yeah. And Bill, so we're going to have some events out there for the Super Bowl as well. And of course, we'll have links up here at WGNRadio.com. And as we let you go, and of course, fans here in Kansas City on uh, WHB, and you're always uh, a great yep. ambassador for El Bandito Yankee. But for those people who want to see social media wise, your website, where can they go? I'm at, at Bill Moz on Twitter. At Bill Maz, M A A S. And then, hey, thank you for your time, buddy. I look forward to seeing you. See you right, a little guys, later, brother. Up. See you, man. All right. Fun time. Thanks. Thanks.